And today, we are extra honored once again because we got Pastor Jared Walker in the house. He's going to bring an awesome word. Thank you so much. Good afternoon, everybody. It's really, really, really good to be here. You guys know how I love SUM and I love you guys. So it's, uh, it is an honor for me as well. Uh, today, we're going to talk about pimps, prostitutes, and preachers. This is going to be a message about how you make money in the ministry. And you've probably, you know, heard it said that in our culture, the American dream is go to college, get a good job so you can make good money. You've heard that before. Many of you uh, have been persecuted to some extent by your family, by your relatives, because they think, how are you going to make money doing this? How are you going to make money preaching? Almost every graduation, Pastor Joe has to address those family members who are just kind of, yeah, they're happy their kid's doing something great that they like, but on the other hand, like, man, how is this going to pay the bills? So he always has to address those people. And uh, I want to um, correct that way of thinking in as much as it has come into the church and is among ministers. For the world, how do they decide a vocation? Well, they decide on three things. What am I good at? What am I passionate about and what will make me money? That's, that's usually the criteria. You know, I do ride sharing and I'm always asking people, oh, so what do you do? And then the follow-up question is, why do you do it? And then you get to kind of hear the heart of people and it comes down to those things. What am I good at? What am I passionate about and what will make me money? And a lot of times people are going to drift into what will make them money at the end of the day because what they're good at and what they're passionate about doesn't always pan out. But I want to tell you that as ministers of the gospel, it's none of those things. It's not one-third uh, talents. It's not one-third passion. It's not one-third money. It's 100% calling. It's the call of God upon your life that is the reason you're here and the reason you're going to be serving the Lord in vocational ministry. But as I said, there, there is this mentality among preachers. I had a recruiter for a major Pentecostal denomination called me up one time to ask me if I would like to work as a youth pastor in this or that uh, church somewhere over there. Hey, are you willing to travel? They need somebody. They pay this. They got benefits. Oh, do you know anybody? And in the, in the midst of that conversation, he actually says to me, well, isn't it all about going to Bible college so you can work at a church and make good money? He's, he's repeating the world's lie. He's repeating not God's dream, but American, the American dream. And so I want to address that mentality here. And I want to start off in 1 Corinthians, not 1 Corinthians, sorry, we will be there. Look at Acts, Acts chapter 18. The reason for that Freudian slip is we will be reading a lot of 1 and 2 Corinthians today. And then what we're about to read right now has Paul in the city of Corinth. 1 Corinthians, I said it again, Acts, Acts chapter 18, verse 1. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. 
Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. So here's a snapshot of Paul's time in Corinth. And he spent about a year and a half there altogether. And when he had first come, he had come alongside uh, Priscilla and Aquila, who were in the tent-making business. Sometimes you'll have a friend, maybe a friend in the church, they have a business, and they'll say, hey, man, I got a job for you. We'll teach you. We have a brother named Vinny. He's taught uh, some of you guys how to clean carpets and how to clean upholstery, and he's blessed you guys with a job. I think that may have been what Paul was doing. Maybe he was trained in this. We don't know for sure, but what we do know is that Paul was a working man. So when we talk about tent making, y'all heard that before, right? It's a little bit of Christianese, but what we mean is bivocational ministry because Paul was a minister. He was a preacher of the gospel first and foremost, but he still had to earn a living. He had to get this bread. And how is he going to get this bread if the people in Corinth, they aren't, they aren't paying him? You know, he's going to work like anybody else has to. How is he going to supply his needs and the needs of those around him? He's going to uh, put on his big boy pants, get up in the morning, and go to work. He is not the preacher who works one day a week and golfs the other six days. He is the preacher who, yeah, because it does say he goes to the synagogue here. It says he goes to the synagogue every Sabbath to, to persuade, but what's he doing the other six days? Well, I'd imagine he's doing ministry, but he's also working. You see that? And so you have this as our example of bivocational ministry, and many of you will be doing this at least for a season. Uh, it may be a very long season, and a lot of you are doing this right now. You're doing school, you're doing a lot of ministry, practicums and things. You are much more involved than most people in the, in the ongoing affairs of the church, and yet you're working, you're adulting, right? Some of you are just getting used to this. You're just getting used. You just got out of high school, and so get, maybe getting a job is new for you. Uh, Mildred, you've been adulting for quite a while. You've been living on your own. And so this, this balance is, um, is, is not necessarily new to you. You've been a mother, and then you've worked, and so you've been able, and going to school, you've been able to do multiple things at once. And this is going to be the lifestyle of many ministers. So let's, let's just get that straight. When you go into ministry, it's not just to get a good job to make money. Granted, granted, we are not against salaries, stipends, offerings. The Bible makes it very clear. You can earn a living through the gospel. It is actually your right. But I'm saying the reality of it and the example of Paul is that many of us will have to be bivocational if we want to fulfill our calling. Now, let's talk about pimps, okay? With regard to money in the ministry, there's three types of people. Pimps, prostitutes, and preachers. I want to talk about pimps. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul calls these super apostles. I call them pimps. And we're spending a lot of time in Corinth, so to speak, because in Corinth, in, in that ancient culture... Uh, they, they were known to have uh, renowned speakers to come and give rhetoric, okay? They called them orators. An orator, a speaker is the same thing. And they were skilled rhetoricians. What, what somebody who's skilled at rhetoric is that they basically can take something simple and make it sound interesting and compelling. It doesn't necessarily make, make it have truth and substance, 
But if it sounds good, people will want to listen to the rhetorician. Does that make sense? And so that was common to the pagan culture of Corinth. They already had their speakers. They had their Tony Robbins, so to speak. They had their, you know, their, their pep talkers come and, and, you know, I saw the, the uh, girl wash your face author and uh, the guy from The Prophet, they're having some conference in town. I'm seeing advertisements for that. So they're coming and they're going to say all this stuff that just gets you hyped up. There may be very little of truth and substance to it, but you're going to pay out the wazoo to hear them speak because they're just so good at it. And so that's how Corinth was, and in a manner of speaking. Uh, maybe not a one-to-one parallel, but they had something very similar in their orators and their rhetoricians. Now that mentality has seeped into the church because even though Paul labored for a year and a half to plant this church, listen, there was no church in Corinth before Paul arrived there. He had to build it from the ground up. Every Christian in Corinth was one of his converts. You got to understand that. I would imagine that as he's building tents and he's, he's talking to his clients about the gospel and winning them to Christ and, and, and using those opportunities that the workplace provides for him in the marketplace. And despite this, despite his hard work, he says, he says that you have many teachers, but I've become your father in the gospel. They're still swayed by these fine-sounding speakers. They become fans of these speakers. And now these guys, listen, they, these guys have found an inroad with their speaking gifts. Now they can go into the church. These Christians they, they're, they're just like the people of the world. They, they, they'll, they'll go for a smooth-sounding speaker, so let's, let's go and see what we can do here. And so now they're listening to the super apostles over their father in the faith, Paul. And they're allowing themselves to be pimped. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 5. I do not think I am in the least inferior to those super apostles. I may be indeed untrained as a speaker, but I do have knowledge. We have made this perfectly clear to you in, ed- in every way. Was it a sin for me to lower myself in order to elevate you by preaching the gospel of God to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by receiving support from them so as to serve you. And when I was with you and needed something, I was not a burden to anyone for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied what I needed. I have kept myself from being a burden to you in any way and will continue to do so. As surely as the truth of Christ is in me, nobody in the regions of Achaia will stop this boasting of mine. Why? Because I do not love you. God knows I do. Now we're going to read on in verse 19. And he he goes on to describe these uh, super apostles, these pimping preachers. He says, you gladly put up with fools since you are so wise. In fact, you even put up with anyone who enslaves you or exploits you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs or slaps you in the face. To my shame, I admit that we were too weak for that. So so he's giving a window. What are these super apostles like? What are these gifted speakers like? They're abusive. They're manipulative. They're authoritarian. I think of the Old Testament, Ezekiel 34. They're the worthless shepherds who use and abuse the sheep for their wool, for their meat. They live fat, and they they use God's people for profit. And they put up with it. They love it that way. Why? Why do God's holy people 
so easily put up with pimps. I have a few thoughts to that. I think, at least in our modern context, it has to do with the materialism of our culture. The saying goes, you get what you pay for. So if you pay more to hear the speaker, you might think you're getting a better gospel. Think about that. Now, now sometimes you do pay more for quality. Like, I'm going to appreciate quality. You know the difference between something that's shabby and it's going to break down and wear out versus something that's going to last and, and is going to work better, and it's sometimes worth more. But paying more money does not make a better gospel. Not in this case. doesn't work. It never works that way, in fact. And so they're looking at Paul. He is untrained as a speaker. He's shabby. He lives a simple life. And they, he's just not impressive to them. He's just a regular dude. You know, there's, there's nothing. And then you have these gifted speakers, these, these dynamic speakers. And, they, and they, use, they, they know all the tricks of the trade. They know how to move a crowd. They know how to get you to shed a tear. They get the soft piano music playing. And they know how to get those reactions. And they're impressed with those guys. And they think that because, well, they live better, they get paid more, it's because they preach a better gospel than Paul does. It's a materialistic way of thinking. And all the while this is happening, they're getting used, abused, and manipulated. Like I said, you can make something sound really flashy and really interesting and really compelling and really convincing, and, and that has nothing to do with the truth or substance of what you're saying. And don't we see that in the church today? It's all the best speakers spitting all the best cliches, doing it, you know, using all these different tricks of speakers, and, and we think that that validates their message. It makes their message more truthful. Why do we put up with pimps? Why do we allow this? I remember hearing one pastor, and if you're in another cohort, this might be your favorite pastor here. He wears $3,000 sneakers, and he was involved in an emotional affair with a woman in his church, and when he comes out and talks about it and confesses because it gets exposed, they are cheering him, and he gives this whole sob story, this pity, patty, party about how hard it is to be their pastor. He's basically saying, you're such bad sheep. I have to put up with so much with you guys. And who's there to console me? Who's there to help me? Do you hear what he's saying about them by talking about how bad his job is as their pastor? And they were cheering him. And then his wife comes and she's making excuses for him. And they drink it down. They drink it down. They put up with it as the Corinthians did. Because his speaking ability is, is sort of a, is sort of a cure-all for his character. As long as he can keep speaking, as long as he can keep moving us, and this happens again and again and again and again. We put up with bad character. We put up with ungodliness. We put up with manipulation. We put up with shallow theology that doesn't change anybody's life. As long as the speaking is good, as long as it scratches an itch for us. I want to share with you something that was uh, posted just earlier today, and I think this is a Holy Ghost dink. This is uh, Ainsley Orfila, and he used to teach for SUM. He is 70-plus years old. 
He's been in ministry over 60 years. He embodies the old school Pentecostalism that we still value here at this cohort. Before Dr. Oliverio, he was the original Dr. O. He's Dr. O.G. (laughs) And so I'm going to read to you something that he said earlier that really says it better than I ever could. He says, I wonder why I hear so much about ungodly hypocrites in the pulpit, yet I have been with so many wonderful men of God. Here's my opinion. Superstar preachers who appear on television and write best-selling books are amply rewarded here on earth. Most are famous, well-paid, and live in luxury. I'm okay with that. Jesus said that the laborer is worthy of his hire. Pastors of small to medium churches, however, are preaching the gospel to fulfill a calling of God, not for earthly rewards. Most of them have abilities that would earn much more in secular work. That is not to say that all the preachers who are well-known as pastors of megachurches, best-selling authors, or television speakers are hypocrites. Undoubtedly, some such speakers are true servants of God, and some small church pastors are hypocrites and hirelings. And as Pastor Joe would often say, uh, big is not bad, small is not spiritual. We want to be big, amen? We want to be successful and spiritual, amen? And so, oh, lost it here. Reading on in the quote, however, from my experience of almost 62 years of ministry, superstar preachers are much more likely to be hypocrites who are in it for earthly rewards. Some of the greatest preachers have turned out to be whoremongers, adulterers, con men, drunkards, and homosexuals. Some have gone to prison and many more should. When you send money to television preachers, you may be supporting such hypocrites who are merchandising the gospel. You may think you can tell the difference, but you can't. You don't know how the superstar, uh, TV superstar is living. How can such hypocrites be so successful in ministry? Some were once men of God who have sold out to the world, the flesh, or the devil, but still have residual giftings. Others may be able to imitate the anointing of God. You need to attend a local church and support it financially. By the way, a television church or radio church or online church is like a white blackbird. It doesn't exist. That's not what the Bible Bible means when it says not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. The television preacher may be a greater orator or have better music than the humble local preacher, but you need the fellowship of God's people face to face. Remember, Jesus said, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name have done many wonderful works, and then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. Come on. I would drop this mic, but it's very expensive, and I don't want to break it. But didn't he say it all? We put up with these pimpin' pastors so easily because their speaking ability covers over all their character defects and their shallow theology. That can't be you. You may find opportunities that are put before you that if you can dumb down your message, you can get more people to follow after you. And you could just treat this like a career. You could just be a Tony Robbins, uh, the Tony Robbins of the church 
going from conference to conference, getting paid big dollars, getting put in the big hotels, and just going from place to place to place, just hyping people up, gassing people up. We've talked about this a lot here in this cohort and in this church. You know the message. You're broke, busted, and disgusted, but God still loves you. You're going to make it. Preach the same message 10 different ways as a good rhetorician would, and just keep making money. Keep writing books that say the same thing 10 different ways. Make it interesting. Make it compelling. And you may be tempted with that because I know a lot of you have great giftings and you can be wonderful speakers, wonderful musicians for the Lord. Like I see that gifting on TJ, like TJ could be TJ Jakes right now, you know, in 10 years. I'm serious with the, with the passion and the gusto and just, I don't want to single out the African American, but you know what I'm saying? It's like, you know, that, that type of preaching, it resonates with a lot of people. It connects with a lot of people. And you could be T.J. Jakes and you could pimp the flock of God and just give them a shallow message of mush, spiritual candy, and make a lot of money doing it, a lot more than if you were just a humble preacher, maybe, maybe doing ride-sharing, maybe, what are you doing now? You're caretaking, doing the stuff you're doing now. And you may be doing that five to ten years but you're winning souls, you're making disciples, you're changing lives, you're building a movement, and God is happy with you. As we were led to, to sing during worship, you know, we live for the audience of one and not the empty praise of man. So having talked a little bit about pimps, let's talk about prostitutes. Now, Pimps and prostitutes are both motivated by the same thing. And what is that thing? Money. But here's the difference. Just like in the natural sense of a pimp and a prostitute, it's the power dynamic. You see that pimps have used their gifts, they've used their charisma, their personality, uh, and, and their people skills to gain a following, and then they gain power and authority to the point where they can abuse and manipulate, and their sheeple will still defend them. Their fans will still defend them in the midst of all that. Who are you to judge? You're not showing grace, all this. And they're still going to get that because they have power, they have influence and authority. The prostitute's a little different. Their motivation is still money, but they're going to find that they're basically going to sell their services and change their ministry and change their message. So they're not necessarily in power, but the, the one who's in power is the one who's paying them. Okay? So let's look at 1 Corinthians 9. We'll flesh this out. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 1. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not the result of my work in the Lord? Even though I may not be an apostle to others, surely I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense uh, to those who sit in judgment on me. Don't we have the right to food and drink? Don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us, as do other apostles and, uh, and the Lord's brothers and Cephas? Or is it only I and Barnabas who lack the right to not work for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat its grapes? Who tends a flock and does not drink the milk? Do I say this merely on human authority? Doesn't the law say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out grain. 
Is it about oxen that God is concerned? Surely he says this for us, doesn't he? Yes, this was written for us because whoever plows and threshes should be able to do so in the hope of sharing a harvest. If we have sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? If others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? Let me just pause right here and, and, and reiterate that it is not a sin to receive remuneration for your ministry. It's not a sin. It's nothing wrong if you work at a church and you receive a salary. There's nothing wrong with receiving an offering as an itinerant speaker. There's nothing wrong with... Um, stipends. There's nothing wrong even if, even if you work at a church and they're able to offer you benefits. Let me, let me be clear. This is not a message of envy. Like we're jealous of the pastors who have all these things. By God's grace, we, we have the same abilities they do. We could have those things. We could have, we could have a big church if we took the same shortcuts. We could Go, I could take my Bible college degree. Look, I graduated in 2012. It's been seven years. You, you think there aren't listings there? Uh, youth pastor wanted, senior pastor wanted, all that. And all, their, all that, they require the, the, the degree I have, you know? You think, think those, that's not out there, that I could do that if I was called to that? We could all do that. But it's not hating on those who have that because we have that right. Paul says, hey, Cephas has that right, Peter, that is. The other, the other apostles, they, they're, they're earning their living from the gospel. They're making use of these rights. That's fine. Amen? That's fine. But, but look as we read on to verse 12b, but we did not use this right. We did not use it. Paul says, I could have received my income from you but I chose not to. As with many other Christian liberties, we have the right to many things, like you have the right to drink as a Christian in moderation. But as SUM students, you set it aside. You opt out of that right, at least for this season, for the community, for the brothers and sisters, for those of weaker faith. And Paul is opting out of this right. He has it, but he is not choosing to exercise it. Why? On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. He feels that if he accepts pay from them, it would hinder the gospel. Well, let's read on and see why that might be. Verse 13, don't you know that those who serve in the temple get their food from the temple and those who serve at the altar share in what is offered on the altar? In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. But I have not used any of these rights, and I am not writing this in the hope that you will do such a thing for me. So this is not a support letter. You see that? He's not writing this like, okay, now I need money. Like you guys, I haven't used it before, but can you help a brother out? No, that's not the support letter here. He says, I'm not doing that. For I would rather die than allow anyone to deprive me of this boast. For when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast since I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. 
If I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If not voluntarily, I'm simply discharging the trust committed to me. What then is my reward? Just this, that in preaching the gospel, I may offer it free of charge and so not make full use of my rights as a preacher of the gospel. He would feel that his ministry of gospel preaching is hindered. And I have some some ideas of what that of, of why that might be. Because we cannot let our means of income control our lives. Okay? If you've been in the church any amount of time, you've you've seen that person who has a job that doesn't work for them. You've seen that. Where they, they themselves are just workaholics, so they're always working, and it takes them out of church, it takes them away from their family, it, it controls and dominates their life, right? Or just the person, maybe like, this is the only job they have, maybe they're afraid to just quit it and find something else, and, and, and they don't care anything about their schedule, and so they're just working, they're working most Sundays, they're missing life group, all this stuff, and you see them just taken out of the game because of work, their means of income has controlled their life. I often evangelize to people who say, man, you know, everything you're saying is right, but I've just been working so much. Have you heard that before? I've heard it. If I had a dollar for every time I heard that, I'd have like $30. I've heard it enough times to, to validate that opinion. We, we know that person is out there who's very, their whole life revolves around their job because they are dominated by this by, by, their, by their need for income. And so the, the, the prostituting pastor is very much the same way. Their means of income has determined the direction of their ministry. If Paul was to allow the Corinthians to patronize him, then he would have to start dressing up for them. Then he would have to start dancing their dance. Then he would have to start altering his message. Then he would have to maybe soften his preaching to appease them. And in that sense, he is prostituting, you see. He is prostituting for them. He's doing what they want. He, they, they've become the Burger King. Have it your way. And he says, I'm not going to allow that. Because, listen, if you, guys don't, if you guys don't like what I say, I don't lose anything. I don't lose anything, but if you guys are paying me and I'm depending on you and, you just, and, and, and suddenly you don't like me, then, then that becomes a conflict of interest. And, you know, that, that is a huge thing. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, we see that in all vocations, you know, money can be a conflict of interest with you living a godly life, but that is like 10 times more true with ministers, that money can be a conflict of interest with your calling. And so Paul doesn't want to do it that way. So he does not use this right. Because if the Corinthians can control Paul's money, they can control his ministry. I think of some of the heroes of the faith. The John Wesleys of the world. The William Booths of the world. John Wesley, who founded the Methodist Church. William Booth, who founded the Salvation Army. In both cases, Mildred... They came from established churches. John Wesley came from the Church of England. And they said, tone down what you're saying and stop preaching outdoors. Stop, stop preaching outdoors. Stop being so evangelistic. We have, a good, we have a need for a preacher like you in one of our established churches. If you just stay here, we'll hook you up. 
we'll take care of you if you just, if you just do it our way. But he couldn't. He had to, in essence, defect from the Church of England and then go and found the, what would become the Methodist Church. The same was true with William Booth. He and his wife, Catherine Booth, gifted preachers. They could have been um, comfortable in the established churches, making their money. Just, just preaching on Sundays and just kind of doing a bare minimal. It would have been the equivalent of kind of a comfy desk job. You ever meet those people, maybe they work for the government or something, and you're like, what do you actually do? <laughs> you know? Like, what do you actually do? What's your job title? Well, I'm the regional director of, of quality uh, assurance protocols. <laughs> And, you know, like you have this cushy desk job. You don't actually do nothing, but you, actually, you get paid for it. There are many people who are called to change the world, and they're settling for comfy ministry desk jobs. John Wesley could have settled for that. William Booth could have settled for that. The Moravian missionaries could have settled for that. I wanted to talk about them earlier when I was dispelling the lie that it's about go to Bible college so you can get a good job at a church so you can make money. It's a devil's lie. What we should be saying is go to college so you can learn to preach the gospel so you can give your life away for the gospel. The Moravian missionaries, they were contemporaries of John Wesley in the 18th century. There's a story that two of them, two young men, sold themselves as slaves in the West Indies to preach to the slaves because that was the only way they could get on that boat to go to that island and, and have a ministry there. It was the only way to sell, to sell themselves as slaves. And as they're sailing away, as they're waving goodbye to their loved ones, they say, may the lamb receive the reward of his suffering. We tell that recruiter... Tell that recruiter, may the lamb receive the reward of his suffering in my life or in my death. I live to glorify God. I live to do what he has called me to do. So we cannot allow the means of income to control our ministry. If we do that, we become prostitutes. Way too many pastors are quitting the ministry when they quit their paid positions. We've seen many SUM alumni who are no longer in the ministry, some are no longer even serving God. Because they get out and they, they follow that path, get a good job, uh, get a, go, to, go to college, get a good job at a church so you can make good money. Then things don't pan out, and then they're selling insurance. Now, if, they, if you were to tell me, okay, things didn't pan out, but now they're selling insurance so that they could work for the gospel and not be a burden like Paul was, I would be all with that. I would be with that. You know, I have, we have heroes of the faith right now. I'll, I'll shout one out. Pastor Juan Gonzalez, planting a church in Denver. But you, you know church planting, that you don't get Benny Hinn money planting a church in Denver. That's going to that's gonna take a while before that can support his family. So what does he do? He ride shares. And I'm not saying, I'm not, this is not an advertisement for Uber, but I'm saying like, this is how he does it. He has not forsaken his calling. He has not quit on his calling. Now he says, basically, I'm going to do this so I don't have to be a burden to this new church I'm planning. So, so you know, because there's, there's nothing there, whatever few people know, I'm, so that I can keep working and I can, I, I can focus on the things of God. We have other people that, that, that we know 
that are doing that very same thing. But again, they quit. I've, I've had quasi-ministry positions I've taught here at SUM, and I considered it, in a sense, ministry, because, you know, it's, it is teaching, it is college, there's a lot of um, technical things involved. I worked at Teen Challenge, and I was receiving remuneration for those things, but I never felt more like I'm doing full-time ministry than I am right now. Never. And so we cannot allow money to determine our ministry. Now let's, in closing, look at Acts chapter 20. Acts 20, verses 32 to 35. We know what pimps are like. We know what prostitutes are like. And we saw in Paul's example what a preacher is like. He says, woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. Some people stop preaching the gospel because they stop getting paid to do so. It's almost like, it's almost like the, the person who's a Christian on Sunday, but they're not a Christian the rest of the week. Like, I'm a, pa- I'm, I'm a pastor on the clock. I talk about God on the clock, but when we're golfing, I don't know why I keep throwing golfers under the bus. When we're golfing, when we're watching football, when we're doing this, we don't talk shop. We don't do that stuff. I don't have time to make disciples when I'm not getting paid for it. I don't have time to win souls when I'm not getting paid for it. Paul says, woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. I'm compelled to do so. I'm going to do it whether people pay me or not. I'm going to do it whether I have a title or not. I'm going to do it where people recognize me or not. I have to. God has called me to do so. Pimps, prostitutes, and preachers. What's the difference between the preacher and the other two? Is they put mission before money. While the others, subtly, without realizing it perhaps, have put money before mission. They've allowed money to shape their, their mission, their sense of calling. Acts 20, verse 32. Paul addressing the Ephesian elders, one of the most powerful um, speeches in all of Scripture. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said. It is more blessed to give than to receive. I want to leave you with two words here. The first one I already intimated, and that is mission before money. Mission before money. You are here right now because God has called you. And what you get paid or don't get paid, whatever opportunities are before you or not before you does not change that. If one door of ministry closes, you go through another. You don't stop preaching. You don't allow it whether, oh, are they going to pay me or not? Are they going to like what I have to say or not? Do I have to, to change my message to, to suit this or that crowd? That, that's not a factor. You trust God, folks. You don't serve mammon. 
You trust God. God is your Lord. God is your provider. And he will continue to be as you put him first. And the second thing is this, just work hard. That's it. Paul says it again and again. I worked hard. I think that some people, I don't, I don't think it's you, but some people enter Bible college thinking they're not going to have to work that hard. Because they're idols. And I use that word deliberately. Do not seem to work that hard. They go up, they give a compelling speech, and they fly out. They, they fly out before you could shake their hand. They're on to the next thing, to the next place that will, that will meet their, their payola rate, right? And they, that's all we do. And everything else, all the, all the fog machines, all the lights, all the other stuff, obviously they, 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 have, they make so much money hand over fist, other people get paid to do all that stuff. Other people put in blood, sweat, and tears. All they have to do is come up and speak, blow in, blow up, and blow out. They think they don't have to work hard. But Paul said, I worked hard. He worked hard in ministry, of course. Blood, sweat, and tears. Laying down his life for the ministry. But then he worked hard in his day job. Worked hard tent making. Jesus was a carpenter, of course. Jesus worked hard. Jesus was blue collar. Ain't nothing wrong with that. Jesus worked a trade. Ain't nothing wrong with that. His side hustle, as it were. Work hard. Work hard in your day job unto the Lord. Work hard for the Lord in ministry. Get used to it. You guys are already being confronted with this. Again, those who are just coming out of high school into college, those who have been adulting, you are already seeing it. I'm working harder than I ever have before. I'm busier than I've ever been before. And I'm going to tell you what Pastor Joe told us when we were in Bible college back 2010, 2011. You think you're busy now, you're only going to get busier. You think you're working hard now, you're only going to work harder. But God will be with you. God will strengthen you. And I wasn't going to read this, but let's go back to 2 Corinthians 11. I want to show you what hard work can look like. So don't get, oh me, oh my pity party about what you have or don't have, what you do or don't have to do. Here's, Here's Paul. As he compares himself... The Corinthians think he's a fool because he doesn't wear $3,000 sneakers and give these compelling speeches because he lives a humble life and he suffers because he works hard and he doesn't accept their money. Like, what kind of idiot doesn't want money? Dude, Paul, we're willing to pay you just to give us fancy talks, man. You could do that. You already do that for free. We're going to pay you just to do that. But here's, here's Paul. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 22. Are they Hebrews, referring to the super apostles? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. And it is an objective fact I am more. Like, we could be all spiritual and say, well, we're all equal, we're all brothers and sisters. Paul could actually look at his line of work and says, I'm more of a servant than they ever were. They have their, their, you know, their hands uh, washed in ivory. What, how does that go? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. They got the silver spoon of ministry. 
right? They got the silver spoon of ministry in their mouth, never work, had to work hard for Jesus a day in their life. And he, could, he, he has a track record he can point to. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. And again, they think he's a fool for that. And they think we're fools for doing what we do and doing it for free. Why are you on the streets? They tell Pastor Joe and I that all the time. Why are you even out here? And sometimes they do ask us, well, what do we get paid for this? We don't get paid for this. Why are you out here? Shouldn't you be in a church somewhere? Because the world, the, the church has presented to the world that this is, what, this is what it's all about. Just have our little meetings here. Have our little experiences here. Have our little conferences where, where everything we do is confined to a building. It's confined to a meeting. And it doesn't amount to anything out in the real world. And they're blown away to see preachers actually in the real world doing it free of charge. But he goes on, five times I have received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at the sea, in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. I have, uh, besides everything else, I face daily pressure of my concern for the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? If I boast, if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The, the God and Father of the Lord Jesus, who is praised forever, knows I am not lying. In Damascus, the governor under King Aretas had the, had the city of the Damascians guarded in order to arrest me, but I was lowered in a basket through a window in the wall and slipped through the hands. Was your pastor ever lowered in a basket? Come on. That's his rap sheet, and that's what he says actually gives him credibility. It's not his speaking ability. You would think that because he so beautifully articulated Christian theology for us in his letters, that he was the most, that he was a wonderful speaker. He would move the crowd. But no, he was just a plain man. But he says, this is what actually gives me credibility. These, these are my stripes. Not how many conferences I've spoken at, where, you know, they serve tea and they put me up in nice hotels. But it's, how I gave my life in service and sacrifice to the Lord Jesus for your sake, for your sake. Well, let's all stand. Are you going to be a pimp? Are you going to use your spiritual gifts, magnetic personality, and natural giftings? Are you going to use that for profit? And abuse God's people in the process? Will you be a prostitute? Will you forsake or augment your calling in order to keep, maintain the status quo? Or will you be a preacher where you serve God first and foremost, not money? And you trust God 
to give you money and you work hard to make money. But money is means to an end. It's the glory of God. I earn money so I can have a living while I work for Jesus. Think how backwards that is from the world. I earn money so I can make a living while I serve Jesus. Others serve Jesus to make money. Lord, you have said in your word that the thing that chokes out the seed, as it were, the seed that is your word implanted in our hearts are the cares of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth. And I pray in the name of Jesus that that will not befall any of them. In the name of Jesus, the cares of this life, just as James was talking to Pastor Joe and I, you know, a few weeks ago about the financial crunch and the, the questions he's facing and the, the, the leap of faith that it is to come into Bible college at this point in his life, so early in his marriage with a wedding he's got to pay for. And he trusts God. And he puts God first. Lord, you honor those who honor you. She not almost said, te, 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 te.